Stuff with Kevin and Casey. Episode 3, Scripture Alone. Hey there, welcome to Episode 3 of the Right Stuff Podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Casey. And we're here for Scripture Alone. Yeah. Scripture alone. What does that even mean? Sola Scriptura. <clears throat> like you base the entirety of your faith on Scripture in the Bible. Scripture alone. And, and as Catholics, do we do that? We do not. No. We do not. Mm-mm. We stand on a three-legged stool. Um, we use sacred scripture. We use sacred tradition. And we use the magisterium, which is the teaching body of the church. So um, we're going to get into that. In a minute, but uh, first off, we've decided that we're going to make a cocktail today uh, in honor of the holy name of Mary that we're calling a Sobieski Espresso. Ooh. It's kind of like a martini, and it sounds great. I but like espresso martinis. Most a good definitely. one yeah. Mm, yeah. with some chocolate-covered coffee beans or Ooh, espresso beans. That sounds really good. Doesn't it? Um, so, uh, basically... This holiday is September 12th. Most of you will probably hear this on that date since the podcast is being released on September 11th. But uh, the feast day is the Holy Name of Mary on September 12th. And that feast was first observed in 1513 on September 15th, the octave day of her nativity. Yes, as faithful Jews, Saints Joachim and Anne would have named their daughter Mary eight days after her birth. And over time, however, the feast moved around, eventually landing on September 12th. And thanks in large part to the Battle of Vienna in 1863. On that date, the Polish king and warrior Jan III Sobieski saved the city of Vienna from the Turkish army in a spectacular victory that changed the course of history. And Sobieski made a bold, bold, bold assault. <laughs> bold assault, right? Too much espresso martini. Uh, yeah, lay Bold off assault it. over a mountain range. <clears throat> and when the shouts of, uh, of his Hussar cavalry made known that the northern lion was on the field, the Turks fled panic-stricken. Sobieski attributed the victory to God and to Our Lady of Czestochowa, whose intercession he had sought at her shrine in Poland before coming to battle. Amending a famous saying of Julius Caesar, Sobieski later wrote, Veni vidi Deus vicit. I came, I saw, God conquered. That's cool. Yeah, it is. Um, so Sobieski is the only real person to have a constellation named after him, and it was actually while he was still alive. Um, and the Northern Lion has also sent the, also lent his name to Sobieski Vodka, and it's made in Poland from rye and named the number one vodka in the world by the Beverage Tasting Institute in 2007. Um, it is a really smooth vodka, so it can be enjoyed neat, which mm. means um, not over ice or anything just like that. Just poured in a glass. Or just poured in a glass, yeah, yeah, which typically is done with like a whiskey or yeah. a bourbon or something yeah. is what we think of, or I think of at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to mix it, you are more than welcome to mix it, and sure. we are going to be making the Sobieski Espresso Martini. I love it. I, I love it. So what are our ingredients here? We're going to use uh, an ounce of <clears throat> Sobieski espresso vodka. If you can't find it, don't panic. Just use regular vodka. Yeah, we did. <laughs> but, right, we're, we're probably going to use, you know, like some good vodka. But right. finding a particular brand of espresso vodka might be difficult. What else do we need? Um, Kahlua. Kahlua. 
fresh uh, espresso. Fresh espresso and um, raspberries for garnish. We're gonna garnish with some raspberries. Yeah, that sounds really great. Like coffees and raspberries. So basically, you put all those ingredients in a cocktail shaker filled with ice. Shake forty times and strain it out. Um, and you want to drink uh, garnish it with the drink with uh, raspberries. And it says here to use a sword-shaped cocktail spear in honor of Sobieski. I think that's pretty cool. Um, and you can also garnish the rim. That's my favorite part of the martini glass with crushed chocolate-covered espresso beans. Yes, doesn't that sound? Could great? you imagine? Oh my gosh, it sounds so good. We're gonna have to try. So that. we're gonna try to make it. Check out our YouTube channel, and you'll have a chance to see um, what we do with this Sobieski espresso. Sobieski, right? So. Um, we'll pause real quickly, and you can go ahead and go to our YouTube channel, make your cocktail, and come back and join us. Yeah. All right. So for our toast, we can use Sobieski's um, quote that he had, the Vini Vidi. Veni Vidi Deus Vici. <laughs> That's what I said. Right? Veni Vidi Deus Vici. I came, I saw God conquered, right? Or... or you could do "Blessed be the name of Mary, Virgin and Mother," or we could just do both. Why not? Right, absolutely. Right. So, we cheers. Vidi, 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 Deus vici. All right, best part. Yum. Mm. Hey, these are these are like amazing glasses because they they're, they're Waterford. Oh wow, yeah. that's yummy. It is really yummy. <laughs> wow. Come up for air, Kevin. Wait, it's very, it's very, very espresso laden. I absolutely love that. Okay. Oh wow, that's yummy. Yeah, Waterford. Yeah, no, fantastic. I know. So let's let's chat about this like scripture alone. Okay. Um, you've probably heard it called something in a lot of non-Catholic churches. They might follow a concept that's called um, uh, sola scriptura, right? Which means okay. scripture alone. Yep. Okay. And what does that actually mean? That means that scripture, the Bible itself, is your sole rule of faith. Yes. Right? Um, And I do have some of my friends... um, Oh, for example. So one of my friends, she's Catholic. Her husband is not. um, And I had a conversation with him one time, and, and he was going on about one of the reasons why he's not even necessarily very into um, a denomination of any sort is because the Bible he feels like was written by men. And for because of that there, it would be fallible, right? Because it's written by men. And he makes a great point. I mean, it, it is written by men, but also what why do we why do we use that as our guide? And do Catholics believe that the Bible is just black and white and that's what it is? So here's here's the thing. Um, yes, it's written by men and those men are fallible. However, it's divinely inspired by God. So I don't honestly think that God was going to lead any of them into error when they were writing the things that they were writing. Mm-hmm. Like he, in his Holy Spirit, would have protected anything that they would have written down. So... We may understand it. Um, let's let's use this example. Uh, I use this in RCIA all of the time. You read the first chapter of Genesis, and we get the narrative of the creation of the world. And what's the last thing to be created is man. And then he takes a rib from Adam and he creates Eve. In chapter two of Genesis, he creates Adam, and then the rest of everything follows suit. Okay, mm-hmm. same story but they're in reverse. 
Um, reverse, reverse. Right. Which one do we? <laughs> which one do we believe? Right. Yeah. Which one do we believe? Um, as Catholics, we take the kernel of truth that's involved in both of those, and really t- start to understand what's 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 the truth that's being revealed. What do we need to know? And what we need to know is the fact that God Himself created everything for us, and it is good. Mm-hmm. Right. Both of the stories tell the same thing. Does it matter whether Adam was created last or Adam was created first? God did it all, and it's all good. And so um, if we look at it from that perspective, we start to understand we don't have to worry about the written word being verbatim. Mm -hmm. We don't have to worry if fallible men wrote those words. We're not expecting God to have dictated every word that those men wrote. And we start to understand... We read it from a larger perspective under the auspices of tradition. And that's going to be probably our next episode. So we can kind of tell you how we fill in the blanks here with scripture. So what I'm hearing you say, though, is that Catholics, we more or less use the Bible as our guidelines. And not necessarily taking each story as... Black and white, right? right? There's there's a lot of meaning behind each story. Of course. Um, whereas some of our Protestant or non-Catholic brothers and sisters, they might take the Bible as black and white. And Absolutely. if it's and not it, in the Bible, then it didn't happen or it's not true or you cannot do that or, right. or something like that. Am I? Is that what I'm understanding? For a lot of non-Catholic Christian faiths, it is the sole rule of faith. There are plenty of them that don't fill in the blanks. And they will say, where the Bible speaks, we understand. Where the Bible's silent, we're also silent. So if it doesn't talk about it, then, you know, it, it doesn't exist, basically. Mm-hmm. How, and and how, do we get, how do we get through that when we're trying to develop our faith life? That leaves a lot of black holes in between that cause a lot of issues. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and... Um... Somebody explained to me one time as far as how Catholics view it. So we, we more or less have guidelines, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and they, the way that it was um, kind of brought into my brain is that you've got guardrails. Right. Right. And Catholics believe you can, as long as you're staying in between those guardrails... There's a lot of gray area, yeah, but that's okay. And you're Here's, fine. And you're fine. Whereas when I talk to some non-Catholics, it is not, there is no gray area. It is very black or white and it's kind of scary. I mean, I know we have, um, one of our good friends that is on the RCIA team with us. Um, he came from a church of Christ background mm-hmm. and it was almost scary for him because mm-hmm. it was so black and white. Right. And it's not that way for us. And, and it was very enlightening to him and very, um, he was very relieved when he found the Catholic faith because it was, it was just so rich and that it was so, um, forgiving, I guess. Forgiving, full of mercy. <clears throat> yeah. So here's the suggestion. I'm going to say we take a sip of our cocktail and, uh, we'll come back and I think we're going to start with a little bit of history because I don't even think people really realize where the Bible might have come from. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. <laughs> Let's start there. Let's start there. <laughs> oh my God, there's a lot of weird words in this episode. Beanie, 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 baby, <laughs> 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 Episode three: Scripture alone. 
Okay, so we've established that the Bible was written by men. Yes. All right, so it it was written by men. It came to them from God, but it, explain that. It, let's go into a little bit of detail. Where did it come from? How did it just appear from God? Okay, like the history. Correct. Okay, so let's think yeah, about this. I said. You didn't pick that up. I know. There it is. <laughs> um, okay, when we think about the word Bible, it comes from a Latin word that means biblio, a Latin word biblio that means a little library. So it's a collection mm-hmm. of books. It's a collection of letters. It's not all written by one person like a novel. Some of those things happen to be um, history. Some of them happen to be parables. Some of them happen to be poems. Some of them happen to be songs. Like you have to understand the literature and the way it's written, first of all, because n- every chapter and verse is not the same in the Bible. Okay? Mm-hmm. Also, we have to understand that the Bible itself uh, wasn't actually canonized, made a law until 382 AD. A law for who? The Catholic Church. Whom? Who? Whom? 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 <laughs> the Catholic Church in 382 AD. In fact, um, there was a pope. He's also a saint. Pope St. Damasus in 382 AD convened a conference of bishops in Rome, and they decided that the books that they would use for the New Testament would be canonized as scripture. Canonized in Catholic terminology, it becomes law. That's mm-hmm. what we use, right? Okay. So... When we talk about scripture prior to 382 AD, the only thing that was known as scripture was the Old Testament. Right. Not the New Testament because it didn't exist. Yeah, it didn't exist. Right. Okay. And the people who wrote the letters and the gospels and all of the things that were canonized as the New Testament in 382 AD had no idea that they would be on par as scripture with the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, however, to play devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. so scripture, like during when Jesus was alive. Right. And this it kind of brings it to life by watching The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen that. I have. So that, Jesus, they during his time, they used to recite Scripture, right? right? Because it wasn't written yet, from my understanding. Or it was, but it wasn't written. It was written, but it happened to be on scrolls. And not everybody owned a set of scrolls. Sure. You know, and so most of what happened with the Scripture in the Old Testament, if you happen to be a rabbi, or you happen to be somebody like Jesus that recited that all of the time, you memorized all of that. So my question is, how, you know, when you played telephone, the game of telephone. Telephone game. Things change. Sure. They change as it gets passed down. Right. So how do we know that things haven't gotten changed as it's been passed on? Aha. Uh-huh. Jesus tells us in Matthew 16. He promises us in okay. Matthew 16. Peter, you are my rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed on heaven. And I promise you that I will leave with you until the end of the age an advocate who happens to be the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's here to guide us and make sure that none of that ever falls into error, right? Mm -hmm. So as early as 33 AD, Mm -hmm. when Jesus was uh, walking amongst everyone else on this planet, he promises Peter that... 
um, the church is going to always survive and is always going to be right and is never going to fall into error ever, right? Mm-hmm. So understand that, like, you know, you're a five-year-old and you're at a party and I say, like, I whisper something to Casey and Casey, Casey whispers something to Cody and Cody whispers something to Caitlin and Caitlin whispers something to Sam and Sam to Sarah and Sarah back to me. <laughs> um, it's going to be different. Like, it's going to be morphed, right? Right. Um, the Holy Spirit promises us that that's not going to happen. When we teach something, when there's something important that needs to be known that was revealed by God himself, in those words, in those letters, it's protected by the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, think about the fact that, you know, we go through a series of covenants and once, uh, you know, they, they keep getting larger and larger. It starts with a, with a couple, Adam and Eve, and then Noah, and then Abraham. And like, you know, we, we see all of these covenants throughout history, David's kingdom. Um, the final covenant is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the word made flesh, the logos. He comes to tell us everything that we need to know. He lived among us so we would understand God's word better. Okay? Mm-hmm. Everything in the Old Testament is concealed from the New Testament. Everything in the New Testament is revealed from the Old Testament. Okay? So it's, it's kind of a continuation. It just helps us to understand God's work with his chosen people throughout salvation history. Mm-hmm. Okay? So basically when we, th- when we think about that, um, kind of going back to our story with Pope St. Damasus in 382 AD, there wasn't a Bible until 382 AD, right? Mm -hmm. So when we talk to some of our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters that belong to a Bible-believing church, um, and you talk about the early church and its history, how in the heck did it operate if there wasn't a Bible? And you have to realize every time Jesus Christ mentions the word Scripture, He's talking about the Old Testament. Right. There wasn't a, there New, wasn't Testament. a New Testament. There were no time. Gospels. There were no letters. None <laughs> of that had been canonized as Scripture. Okay? So if we, if we look at it from that perspective, Jesus Christ was crucified, died, resurrected, and ascended in 33 AD. We're going to fast forward to 382 AD. That's 349 years into the future without a Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now that's not saying that when Christians met on Sundays and they were, they were reading scripture, Old Testament, and they would share the words of the apostles and the letters that some of them wrote to the churches and the words of the prophets, um, they weren't utilizing things that were to be canonized in the New Testament, but it didn't exist until 382 AD, right? Sure, yeah. So one of the things that's really difficult for us to understand is... In this day and age, I mean, I don't know about you, but for the love of God, my iPhone runs my entire life. Like, <laughs> if I don't, like, type something in and, and I'm supposed to be here at X time. Um, hey, Siri, remind me to whatever. <laughs> Gosh, right? I would be so lost without you. You and me both, Good right? Oh, Siri's going off now. Oh, my gosh. See? <laughs> Siri's even answering. That's pretty funny. No, Siri, no. We don't need you right now. Thank you, though. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but let's let's think about that. Like, um, in, in 100 AD, okay, you were a farmer in 100 AD in the Mediterranean region. 
honestly, do you think they re- read or or wrote anything? Most of them were illiterate, right? Right, yeah. So if you were a farmer and um, some rich person came up to you and said, I need three goats and 16 bags of chicken feed, and you didn't listen well and remember that, and you showed up with 16 goats and three bags of chicken feed, man, you lost your business really quickly, right? Okay, what? Sorry, it brought up this whole thing that I've heard is that since our iPhones, our memories have gone way down because we take pictures of everything. So it makes so much sense. 100%. And so the other thing about the time of Jesus Christ, civilization was very oral, spoken, Mm -hmm. to oral, hearing, Hearing, learned. And so when people spoke... You listened closely. Imagine that. And you had to you had to memorize things. Like you literally had to memorize. So even people who recited scriptures of the Old Testament, um, a lot of them didn't read. Mm-hmm. They would walk forward, un- unroll the scroll, and they would just have memorized things that they spouted out. They weren't actually reading those things. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what if we look at it from that perspective, um, you really had to listen closely. And if you pass the story along, you really had to keep it the same and tell the exact same truth that you initially heard. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, it wasn't until the 1500s when we had a printing press that we actually started to see things written down and mass produced. Of course, the first thing that Gu- Gutenberg produced was a Bible. That was the very first thing that Gutenberg ever did. So, um, but at the time of Christ, and at the time when the Gospels were being written, at the time when all of the epistles and the letters to the churches were being written, most people were illiterate, mm-hmm. okay? And um, a part of that is the fact that um, all of those things were never meant to be on par with Scripture, which at that time was simply the Old Testament, okay? Mm-hmm. So when we look at that history, um, 350 years goes by, and we're having church. We're having church. We're doing our thing, right? Mm -hmm. And we didn't necessarily use a Bible. Isn't that weird? That is weird. That is weird. Okay. What did we do? Are Catholics Bible-believing Christians? Yes. Yes, absolutely we are. And the thing that will drive the world crazy is when I make this statement, Catholics gave the entire world the Bible. It was canonized by the Catholic Church. It became the rule of law and the New Testament, New Testament became scripture simply because the Catholic Church said so. Mm-hmm. Okay, The magisterium of the Catholic Church. I'm going to throw out that can of worms because we're going to get there someday when we talk about the hierarchy of the church, right? And I mentioned earlier that we stand on a three-legged stool, sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. Okay, So what do we do in the event that like, um, there's something in the Bible that we read and we don't understand? Right? How does it get interpreted? I don't know. <laughs> okay. So Ale. we Ale. We we use Can sacred. Can I phone a friend? Yeah, phone a friend, right? <laughs> hey Siri. Um, hey Dad. Right. We we have to use something to actually <clears throat> interpret it, and what that entails is we go back to look at it through the eyes of our sacred tradition. What has it always been? What did the church set up at its inception? How do we look at this from early eyes, not our own eyes? We have to understand the scripture. We have to know whether it's a parable, a history, 
a poem. Like there, we have to understand the literary. We have to understand what the author actually wanted us to understand from that piece of scripture. And then we have to weigh it against what does it mean in the history of the church? And who gets to decide that along with tradition is that magisterium, okay? Mm -hmm. People that spend their entire lives studying history and understanding what the, what the church actually teaches and what that book actually means, okay? So um, when, we, when we look at that perspective and that perspective alone, okay, and we just have scripture, um, I'm going to tell you an argument that I have with some people all the time, and it's kind of funny, and you might find it kind of gross, and people out there might find it kind of gross, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Jesus Christ was fully human, fully divine, right? Right. And he would have been tempted with things. He would have felt sorrow. He would have felt hunger. He would have felt sleepy. He would have felt all those things, right? Um, if he drank a little bit of wine, he probably had to use the little boy's room, right? Mm-hmm. Does the Bible ever talk about him going to the bathroom? No. Does that mean he never went to the he bathroom? He never did. Right? I think we can fill in the blanks that if he... Poor guy, he was probably floating away. Right? If Jesus felt hunger and he felt sleep and he felt sorrow and he felt all of those things, he also probably felt his full bladder. (laughs) So it never talks about that in scripture. So it doesn't tell us everything. Scripture does not tell us everything. It does not divulge everything. Right. Right? Okay. So let's think about the fact that if aliens or even a civilization a thousand years from now... Okay. Uh, I own a Toyota Avalon. What if it gets buried in a junkyard somewhere and it's covered with like 30 feet of junk like uh, Pompeii and they dig my Avalon out a thousand years from now? That is not where I thought right? you were going no, with that. No, listen, and, the, and the, language, <laughs> the language is completely different, right? And they have no idea how to operate this car and they find my user's manual. They're going to read some things and they're going to be like, ooh, I don't understand this. I got to find some other things from a thousand years ago Mm -hmm. to be able to interpret what any of this stuff means. Right. Okay. I love to cook. Right. Um, I have a ton of cookbooks. I don't always use them Mm -hmm. because I just, I love to cook. Um, but let's, let's think about that. What's that like? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to need another cocktail on that. Um, so uh, let's think Shoot. about this. You, you go through the list of things, and I'm going to make meatballs, right? And I, I use ground beef, and I use some uh, minced garlic, and I'm going to use a little bit of milk, and I'm going to use some grated Parmesan cheese, and I'm going to use breadcrumbs and parsley and basil. I'm going to mix it all together, right? But yeah. then I read below, and it says, you know, put the ground beef in a bowl, mince garlic. Well, I panic. Oh, my gosh. How do you mince? What does mince mean? I don't know what mince means. Oh my gosh, what do I do? I can tell you that. I know, but what do we do? <laughs> hey Siri. Phone a friend. Phone a friend, right? <laughs> and and we decide to figure out what mince means. What have I done? I've taken the book that I'm using as my rule. Mm-hmm. I've looked outside of it to interpret something that it has in it that I don't understand. It's so profound. It is. I mean, meatballs make the world go round, (laughs) right? So, but it's, it's a simple, Hmm. it's a simple comparison, but I've used an external source to help me interpret 
what I actually mean or what that book actually means, right? right. If I don't understand the words, mm-hmm. I don't have to fill it in. I don't have to make it up for myself. I don't have to pray about it, that God's going to deliver to me what yeah. mince means, <laughs> which I think he would if I asked hard enough, right? Maybe. Right. Or he'd say, ask Casey, right? So you could, you could help me. You just um, gotta listen, right? You gotta listen, but <laughs> but I can use that external source, right? And I can try to figure out what that word means, right? So when you look at scripture from a Catholic perspective, oftentimes we'll use tradition to fill in the blanks that aren't in scripture. Mm-hmm. Everything is not there. No, as much as you want to say everything you need is in scripture, it's not there. Right? You fill a vase with marbles and it's to the top and you say to some kids, Hey, is this full? And they say, yes. Right. And then you take a glass of sand and you pour it in and you jostle it and it fills in the spaces and you say, see, it wasn't full, right? Now it's full, right? Yes. No. You take water and you pour it in over the sand and the water filtrates through the sand and fills in the spaces even more so in between. Right. So, um, there's always some way to add more. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not take away from it, right? but to add more in the sense that there's a way for us to look at those scriptures and interpret them through tradition by a body of people who understand what the church means. Mm-hmm. Now, this may be a giant can of worms for people out there to try to understand this, but when we talk about um, that, that scripture and that scripture alone, okay, um, Catholics never look at it that way. We, we never use scripture alone, okay? Right. And it's the reason that every Catholic church on the planet has the same interpretation of the Bible. Okay, let's, let's talk about this. When I was younger, um, I lived in a small community in Northeast Ohio, and um, about 75% of everybody was Catholic, so it wasn't an, you know strange to be Catholic there at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, there was a time when there was like a first Baptist church and a second Baptist church. And I remember visiting both of them with some friends. My mom and dad would let me go with them on Sunday as long as I went to mass on Saturday night. Sure. So, you know, they would, they would, they would preach on the same kind of things and it was the same pieces of scripture. But this pastor, whoops, this pastor had one interpretation and this pastor had a different interpretation. Who has the truth? Mm-hmm. Right? Who has the truth? Yeah. And I, something else that comes to my mind is, um, so in the Bible when it says um, it rained for 40 days and right. 40 nights, right. did it really rain for 40 days and 40 nights? Or is it just saying, hey, it was it was a long time? So I will tell you this. As Catholics, <clears throat> we're allowed to believe because we're going to stay between those guardrails. Yeah, it doesn't matter, right? right? We can believe it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, okay? But thinking about that, Let's look back at that time of Noah, okay? First of all, there were no clocks, Mm -hmm. probably no hourglasses, nothing like that. For them, right, right, maybe a sundial, (laughs) but the day began at sundown. Mm -hmm. Began at sundown? It began at sundown. Oh. Yeah. So, like, Thursday would start as soon as the sun goes down on Wednesday night. Oh. Okay? Wow. So, understanding that, we have a different concept of day mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. right okay and then how many 40s have we heard in the bible 
Jesus oh, wow. wandered the desert for 40 days. The Egyptian, uh, the Jews wandered the, through the Egyptian desert for 40 years. Right. Like 40 is a number that represents generational. Mm-hmm. It means a long time. And so when we're looking at it raining for 40 days and 40 nights, the truth, the kernel of truth that we extract from that with the help of tradition mm-hmm. and the magisterium of the Catholic church says it rained a long time. <laughs> it was for a long time. Right. Okay. Now it also said the water covered the world, right? Yeah, it did. Okay. But, um, what world was known at that point in time? Those people only knew that Mesopotamian central Eurasian Valley. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are low lying plains between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers could it have covered all of that? Yes. Could mm-hmm. it have covered the lower mountains on the outsides of that? Yes. When the ark may have landed on Mount Ararat, which we sort of believe that that's you know where it is now, mm-hmm. um, and the water subsided, um, did it cover the world in in a truthful state? Yes. To them, that was the right. world, right? But if we look at like um, Mount Everest. In, in Nepal or uh, Denali in Alaska, mm-hmm. did it cover those? Maybe not. We don't know. Right. We don't know, right? <clears throat> okay, so there's the truth to that story. The kernel of truth is that there was a lot of evil in the world and God wanted to save civilization. Noah's family was chosen and when they were delivered, he promised he would never do it again. That's the story. That's what we need to know. Yeah. We don't need to know 40 days and 40 nights. No, right? we don't. Okay. No. Okay. Um, not that not that it's not a beautiful story, that it's important. Okay. Um, I also have a friend that, um, you know, uh, one of my favorite priests, I mentioned him earlier uh, in an earlier episode, Father Ed Steiner, who's at um, St. Philip Church in Franklin. He preached on um, uh, Jonah and the whale, right? And he was talking about, the fact that like that whale represented the darkness and the three days that Jesus was in the tomb because he was mm-hmm. in the whale for three days and he got spit out again, <laughs> rising from the internal of the whale, right? And he looked at me and said, oh my gosh, that's the first time I've ever heard somebody preach that like maybe there wasn't a whale. Oh. Ooh, isn't that scary? Like what happens when that rocks your faith? Honestly, does it matter if there was a whale? Oh, see, to me it didn't. Right, right. I never. I also never thought about it not right. being the whale. Right. Okay. So, it <laughs> represented the darkness and the death to rising, mm-hmm. just like Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was a precursor to all of that. So again, Old Testament reveals what we see in the New Testament. Right. Okay. So, let's let's use a silly example, like. Um, uh, 2000 years in the future, like, like tonight, Casey and I were at Walmart. Okay. And we were trying to buy a few things and get a few snacks for when we're finished with our podcast. <laughs> right. And so, um, we don't call me out. I know. <laughs> don't, you, don't you judge me. Don't I did judge me. not get snacks. Don't judge me. But, um, okay. So tonight we leave Walmart and it's raining cats and dogs. Like it's pouring down rain. Mm-hmm. In fact, in Walmart, it was really loud, mm-hmm. really loud. So I write in my journal tonight, we did our third episode of our podcast. We bought some flatbread and it was raining cats and dogs. It was so loud in Walmart. Well, uh, 2000 years now from now, somebody finds my journal. They're going to be like, there were a lot of cats and dogs. Right? Okay. So <laughs> coming from the sky, you have to understand in this day and age, if I said that out loud in our society, <clears throat> people would understand what raining cats and dogs mean. It's raining really hard, mm-hmm. right? 
But maybe 2,000 years from now, they're going to look at that and think, canines and felines were falling <laughs> from, from the, the sky, sky. <laughs> right? So Could you imagine? You have to understand the context in which things are written to be able to interpret them correctly. We can't read black and white words on a page mm-hmm. and think they always mean what they mean. Right. There's an interpretation to it. But the beauty of the Catholic Church is we don't have to think so hard for that interpretation. Tradition tells us what it means, and the magisterium, in one-third of that triangle between tradition, scripture, and themselves, is the actual arbiter and Mm -hmm. interpreter of what all of that means for us. We're all taught, when Jesus prayed that we would be one, we're supposed to be one. Right. Which... Uh, for those of you out there that don't know this either, if you go to any Catholic church anywhere on the globe, all of the readings, all of the scripture readings that we get on any given day are the same the in every church same. around the globe. It's, so I love that. Every Catholic is taught the exact same thing every single day <clears throat> of the year. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, Looking at it from that perspective, um, it's really hard for us to just take a piece of scripture, one little bump of scripture, and say, this is what it means. Mm-hmm. What about the 33,000 verses before it and 33,000 verses after it and what affects it and what refers to it? And was it a poem? Was it a parable? Was it a historic account? We don't, you have to know all of those things to be able to interpret what it actually means. Hey, Case, any questions from the inquirers this week? <laughs> We're laughing. I just said inquirers because I had a like my I, I had a little mix up with my TH there. You don't even have to explain. All right, good deal. Okay. <laughs> yes, we do have okay, some questions. Okay, good, good. Let's let's tackle it. All right, let's dive right in. A first question. Um, why do Catholics why mm-hmm. See, now I'm getting tongue-tied. Way to go. Why do Catholic Bibles have more books than non-Catholic Bibles? Okay, okay. I'll do this as quickly and shortly as humanly possible, but we often get non-Catholics that tell us the Catholics added seven books to the Bible, okay? Um, As a Mediterranean Jew, um, Jesus would have used what was maritime scripture at that time, and it included books that are... Tobit, Judith, Baruch, Ecclesiasticus, Wisdom, and First and Second Maccabees, and there are also additions that we have to Esther and Daniel that don't exist in most non-Catholic Bibles. Okay, um, there was a giant conflagration that was happening in synagogues because when Christians first started worshiping, they would go to synagogues to hear Scripture on Saturdays, which was the holy day, and then they would break bread together on Sunday mornings because it was forbidden. Mm-hmm. Okay, they had to hide and they had to go do that in mm-hmm. the Roman Empire. Um, it wasn't until 317 AD when Constantine made it legal to worship as a Christian that both scripture and the liturgy, the liturgy of the word where we hear the scripture and the liturgy of the Eucharist where we receive communion could be joined into one long celebration. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, oftentimes it would cause problems in the synagogues because these Christians had slightly different beliefs from their Jewish brothers and sisters, and they wanted no part of them. And so they oftentimes would say, hey, if this scripture was written in Greek and it doesn't exist in Hebrew, Aramaic, some Semitic language in in that uh, manner, um, we can't prove that it's real. 
And those seven books that I just mentioned were those that could not be found. They were only written in Greek at that time. However, fast forward to the 1960s, we find the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know that they actually existed. They were around, right? And so, um, which should be kind of a wake-up call to people who don't think those books existed, you know? Interesting, yeah. Um, uh, We will totally get into this at a better time, but uh, Martin Luther was the one who actually suggested the removal of those seven books because he was sort of in agreement with those rabbis in the Jewish synagogues from that first century A.D., Um, So they were removed, okay? And they were put in the center called the Apocrypha. Apocrypha means hidden. We call them deuterocanonical, which means secondary canon. They're secondary teachings. They back things up, okay? Um, They were actually removed because in the 1800s, there was a group of people in Britain that was very much like the Gideons, right? And, And Britain was a maritime country that had colonies all over the world, and they wanted to spread the faith of Jesus Christ. But what they thought was, hey, we can pack more of these Bibles and carry them to all of our places with less pages. If we're not using those seven books for preaching and teaching, it'll cost us less to publish them, mm-hmm. cost us less, less to less make to them, and we can, we can send more around the world. So prior to 1837, if you had a Bible that was like a King James Version, it still had an Apocrypha in the middle. Those books would have been included. They weren't used for preaching and teaching in non-Catholic churches but they were good for reading, okay? Mm-hmm. After that point in time, they kind of disappeared. And the Bible had 66 books in a non-Catholic Bible. The Catholic Bible will always have 73 books. Mm-hmm. 46 in the Old Testament, 27 in the, in the New Testament. Which, and we'll get into that in a later date, but Certainly. those books are really important for some of the things that we believe that right. non-Catholics don't believe. Right. Um, and that's where we get the why behind what we believe because it's in some of those books. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll go into that more in the future. We will. Okay. Next question. All right. This one I think is really cool. Okay. All right. So a lot of non-Catholics believe um, that the earth is 6,000 years old. Right. Right. According to a Bible timeline. Correct. Yeah. Um, However, if you look at um, science, science is saying, hold on, we found dinosaur bones that are billions of years old. Correct. So how, how do we... How do we use science and scripture? How do, how do we put both of those together? Right. Okay, let's go back to Genesis, right? What's the first thing? Like, God created the world in seven days. What's a, what's a day to God? Mm-hmm. You know, later on in scripture, we see like a thousand years is a day to God, as, as a day is to a thousand years. So um, what does that actually mean? Um, there wasn't dark and light to begin with. Right. There, mm-hmm. And so we have no concept of what a day was. Right? right. We don't know what a day was in God's eyes. All we know is that he created all of this stuff and he called it good every single time he created it. So could one of those days have been a Pleistocene era? Could one of those days have been a Jurassic era? Could one of those days have been all those scientific eras that we say are millions upon billions of years old? Um, and the earth is actually that old. Um, you know, I mean... Think about people in the Bible that were 900 plus years old. Were they actually that old? Um, oftentimes they referred to seasons. And sometimes in the Middle East, there were four seasons. You know, So if you're 900 years old, I mean, you're still going to be pretty darn old. Right. But you're probably not 900 years old in As our terminology of January right. 1 to December 31 each year. Correct. So if we look at it from that, that uh, viewpoint, uh, I think we can start to understand... 
Um, days don't literally mean days, and we don't have to take that as a literal day. Mm-hmm. There it is. Perfect. Okay. One last question, and sure. this one goes in really well to what we're going to be talking about next time. Okay. Um, <clears throat> why do we have the Bible? Where does it come from? The Bible is the, the divinely inspired word of God that was written down by fallible men, and it's protected by the Holy Spirit because Jesus told us that in Matthew 16, as I kind of referred to mm-hmm. earlier uh, in, the, in the podcast. Um, it, it comes to us not as a package deal. It didn't drop out of the sky as a manual. It was collected over the course of time to be able to uh, follow God's salvation history with his people, um, Jesus Christ is the final covenant. All of the New Testament is what is added on after Jesus Christ is here with us and we start to understand it. And then as soon as public revelation is completed with the death of the last apostle, we see no more scripture. Mm-hmm. At that point, you know, nothing, nothing further gets included. One of the criteria in 382 AD was that Everything had to help us with our salvation history. Somehow the Bible uh, chapters and verses that are in that book that we call the Bible have to help us get to heaven. Mm -hmm. There's a salvation history that's included in that. You've probably heard of those things on the Discovery Channel, like the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Like They're great for us to read and to get a glean an insight into what time was like at that point in time. But when we look at things like the Gospel of Thomas and, um, you know, Jesus like picked up some clay and formed a little pigeon and he blew into it and like the pigeon can't, that doesn't help us get to heaven. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little story to, mm-hmm. to understand what he might've been like as a child, but it's not important for us for our salvation history. So, um, the, the Bible unto itself is basically salvation history for us. Mm-hmm. It's not a manual. It's not to tell us to do this, to, to be good. Um, we learn that from our tradition which we'll be speaking on next week hopefully and uh we'll we'll give you some insight into that as well yeah cool perfect that's all our questions for this time if uh, you all have any questions for us reach out we'd love to hear them yeah uh, check out our website at therightstuff.net and there's a place that you can contact us and send us questions if you're looking for our socials or you're looking for a way to make that cocktail uh go to linktree slash the right stuff and that's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash the right stuff and all of our social contacts are listed there and you'll be able to find us we're still trying to get the podcast out on Apple and Spotify and Android and all the other places that We're you might on yeah it. that you might find but sometimes it takes up to 6 weeks for that to happen. So uh, and you have to have your first uh, couple of episodes out. So we're we're working on that right now and we hope to uh hear you soon. Yeah. Send us any questions. We'd love to go into detail and dive into it with you. Yeah. See you next time. Spine and Bohem. The Right Stuff with Kevin and Casey.